invite you to remain standing as we read our gospel this morning. It is an ancient practice of the church to stand for the gospel in anticipation of what God is going to do in this place and in this word. So I encourage you uh, to wear that attitude. Our reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 26 through 27. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the meditation of this scripture. Let us pray. God, you've called us here this morning. You've woken us up this morning to hear your word. God, I ask that you open our hearts to the ways that you need us to move, that you need us to change and grow and be in relationship with you and one another. And God, I ask that in this moment, I not get in the way. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. When I was in high school, I worked at a very popular fast food chain. And I started out like anyone else, uh, doing all of the table cleaning and at the front register. And my favorite part of working at this little fast food restaurant was to be in the drive-through. Because the drive-through always had people. I never got bored. I was never stuck doing the same thing for too long. And I loved the little bits of connection that I got to have with anyone that rolled up. And my friends and I that worked there tried to make it into a game, tried to get as many smiles as we could out of people because it's actually pretty challenging. People roll up through the drive-thru because they really don't want to talk to anyone in a restaurant. They're there to grab food and go. And so we did everything that we could. We got the mascot outfit out of the closet and I'd put the head on and stick it out the window and hand people their food. I tried to make sure that nothing was ever too placid there. I loved that job. I learned a lot about how to connect with people and the value of joy in connecting with other people. I left that drive-through day uh, behind. I left my drive-through days behind and I found myself in a very different kind of drive-through just a couple of years ago. While I was in seminary and in a lull in the first wave of the pandemic, the small church that I was serving decided that after a year of no communion, that we would have drive-through communion. And so I donned my face mask and my shield and my gloves, and I feel like I probably should have also been wearing a hazmat suit, and we had tongs for the bread, it was a whole thing. And people would drive up and we saw congregants, but we also saw plenty of people that were absolute strangers. And it reminded me of these days in the drive-through in high school when a stranger would pull up and I would just try and connect with them just as a person. But the thing about a high school fast food drive-through is that when people show up, they are strangers. When they leave, they are strangers again. And I'll never forget, we're towards the end of this drive-through communion. My senior pastor holding the bread with the tongs and me uh, with the cup with all sorts of protection between me and the cup. And we are standing there at the curb and an old beat up car pulls up. And in it, 
is an elderly man. And we begin to try and give him communion. And he said, before, before we do this, I have to tell you, I finished my chemotherapy six months ago. And in the middle of this pandemic, I didn't know if I would get to take communion again. And so this moment is so big for me. And in that moment, this person was no longer a stranger between me and this person and my senior pastor as we served communion and we partook in the literal body of Christ. We belonged to each other. And there is not only joy there, but there's also healing. And as that man took communion, he wept and we wept and it was holy, and it was good. Jesus proclaims from the cross this kind of goodness and healing. We study the last seven words. We meditate on them, and we bring them back year after year in Lent. One, because if you have had someone pass on, you know that their last words, even if they were mundane or didn't make sense or weren't even directed at you, are important, they're heavy, they're special. And when we think about our savior on the cross about to save humanity, these last words start to weigh more. So we look at them for that reason, but we also have to think about our ancient authors. We have four gospels and four perspectives of who Jesus is and what God's mission on this earth is. And they did not, surprisingly, have computers to type on, anything like that. They were handwriting things on papyrus scrolls most of the time. This was something that you couldn't just buy at the store. It was precious. There was very little of it. And so we can assume that any author that is trying to tell us something about Jesus, especially in this last moment of life, they're not gonna give us any throwaways. Sometimes I read Tolkien, I read the Lord of the Rings series and there's so much in there that is fluff. We do not have any fluff left in the gospel. There is no moment for describing the leaves in the tree. We are describing our savior and we are telling what is the most important thing. And sometimes we have a moment in which this little bit of scripture gets even squished further. It's only a couple verses. And we just say, woman, here is your child. And what ends up happening to us is that I imagine this very tragic scene in which Mary looks upon her literal child dying in a way that is not only horrible and unforeseen, but very grotesque. What happens to people on the cross is very gross. It's very horrible. And to see your child there, and for you to see your mother there so helpless, if all we boil it down to is, mom, here I am. We've lost the power of what our author is showing us about Christ. Because this, as we read, is a little longer than that. There's actually three people present. It's not this moment of tragedy. Instead, Jesus looks upon his mother and says, woman, 
which in a modern language, if you call me woman on the street to address me, you get a bad look, right? We don't like to call each other woman, that's not polite, but in Jesus' time, that was the same as how Southerners might say, ma'am, a term of respect, a term of endearment, a term of knowing. And so Jesus looks upon his mother and says, woman, here is your child. And to someone that is perhaps his close friend and says, child, which may also be rude. This is a grown person that he says child, but he's using that language on purpose. Child, here is your mother. And some scholars will boil this all down and say, Jesus just wanted to take care of his mama. And the truth is so much bigger and greater if we allow ourselves to read the fullness of the text. Everything in ancient world was organized around biological families and families of origin. Even your job you inherited from your parents. We know that Joseph was a carpenter. Jesus was probably trained as a carpenter. This is how all of society ran, for better or worse. Because when tragedies happen, like what is happening to Jesus and Mary, Sometimes people are left without resources that they need to survive and sustain themselves. And what Jesus says on the cross is radical to all who are listening to him at this time to say, your biological family, the way that you have tried to organize yourself, that's not all. Family of choice is sacred too. And not just family of choice, but a sense of belonging that is grander and deeper than we allow ourselves to believe that we are. Because we sit around all day long in a society that gives us all sorts of excuses to make someone else a stranger. All sorts of boundaries about how they look different from us, or they come from a different class than us, or they have a different hobby than us, or they come from a different part of town than us, we will think up anything to say that that person is a stranger. And yet Christ says that in the body of Christ, that person is no longer stranger to us. They belong to us, and we belong to them. And this is good news to us, whether your family is one of harmony and love, or one that isn't a safe place family of choice that comes and surrounds us by the power of who Jesus is and what he did on that cross is sustaining and it is healing. When I was in college, I got the bright idea that because I had a summer internship where I would live in an intentional community, that I would store my entire apartment worth of furniture and plates and pots and pans and winter clothes, everything that I didn't need for the summer in a storage unit. And I had worked so hard that year because it was my first apartment and I loved how everything looked. I took great joy in choosing everything and using all my little doodads and, and furniture. And when it came time to select that storage unit at a ripe 20 years old, I decided that the cheaper it was, the better, which is not how you should buy a storage unit if you are in the market for one. My friend and I decided that if we could get a cheap one, we could split it. And for $70 for the whole summer, 
we were allowed to put all of our stuff in a unsurveillanced, no guards, no fenced in uh, security kind of place where we could just open the door, put it in and put one lock on it. And even to this day, my father uh, at like the Thanksgiving dinner table will say, I can't believe we let you do that. I served uh, an entire summer of service with Project Transformation and I had an amazing time. And when I came home, I drove up and I remember it was around a corner and I was talking to my friend as we were going to pick up our things and we turned the corner and the door had been bashed in and all that was left on the floor was a quiz that I had taken that had fallen out of a notebook and four Ziploc bags. All I had to my name were summer clothes and some bedding. No bed, no furniture, no winter clothing, no rain boots, no books, and school was about to start. And my immediate reaction to this was to sit on the gravel and cry. I had nothing left to give to this situation and I called my parents and they said, everything will be okay, we will show up on Friday, we will drop work, we will show up and we will get you settled, it'll be fine. So I went to Walmart and I bought the cheapest twin size inflatable mattress and one blanket um, and went to bed. And when I woke up in the morning, I woke up on the floor because that's what happens when you have a twin uh, size inflatable air mattress from Walmart. And I picked up my phone to see that I had a bunch of messages and missed calls. I opened it up to see numbers that I didn't know text messages that said so, all something like this. Hey Ellen, it's Susan from the church. I heard that you had all of your stuff stolen. I have a couch in my garage uh, and I'm gonna bring it over. You just let me know what time is good for you. And I had many of those. I had calls and voicemails that sounded like that too. Women at the church that I had been working at found out that this has happened to me and they called their Sunday school classes. They called their families. They called their friends that had furniture stores. And I ended up before my parents even got there on Friday having guest after guest into my little apartment bringing me not only items, but adultier adult people who were willing to listen to my story and cry with me and tell me the stories of all of their items, the dishes that they had inherited from their beloved mother. They brought me food, they brought me gift cards for new clothing. And by the time my parents showed up, I, I had physical things, but I also received healing from the body of Christ. For those of us here, if you have been a person that is in Christian community, you know the power of when your small group sits and listens to you while you tell something vulnerable. The people that show up with casseroles and tears and tissues when someone dies or when a baby is born and it's overwhelming. The power of belonging to one another through the body of Christ is unlike anything else. And it's good news to us this morning in this moment that could be tragic. Jesus is busy, little busy, saving us. And in this moment, as one of his last things that he does, he proclaims to us the good news that you are worthy of love 
and that that love is deeper than just your familial connections, it is through the entire body of Christ. So that when your friends from your gym help you move, God is present. When your friends show up when you've had a hard day, God is present. When your family sends you a text and asks if you're doing all right after a tough day at work, God is present. So we are never alone. Thanks be to God. Amen.